Welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. John is the number one national best-selling author of the book On Fire. He's a world-class inspirational speaker, and he's the host of the Live Inspired Podcast. John interviews extraordinary individuals on their life story so that you can wake up from accidental living and more fully live your life story. Here's your host, John O'Leary. Well, hello, my friends. This is John O'Leary, and I'm so happy to have you here joining me in the Live Inspired movement. On every Live Inspired podcast episode, I have amazing guests join me to share their stories, their successes, their failures, their lessons, their life. And you are in for a treat today because you're going to hear a woman share her lessons, her her tragedies, her overcoming, and how she discovered what real beauty, what real perfection, what real kindness looks like in action. It's an incredible story. I don't know how you define real beauty, but you're going to redefine that today. And I don't know how you define what kindness looks like. But I think today, as we interview our newest friend, Lizzie Velasquez, you are going to redefine what real kindness looks like in action. So, my friends, I invite you right now to buckle up, open up your journals, open wide your minds, your eyes, your hearts, your ears, as I introduce you to our newest friend, someone that I've been paying attention to online for years. She's incredible. We're lucky to have her. My friends, welcome to our Live Inspired studio, Lizzie. Lizzie, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Lizzie, for those who may not know of you yet, or they may not know your brand or your story, just give us a snapshot of who you are today, the work you do, and maybe where you're doing it. Sure. So I uh, went through years of bullying and cyberbullying due to the fact that I was born with a rare syndrome that causes me to look different. Um, had many different, really hard things come my way, and through that, I've learned a lot of lessons and through that, have learned how to really take those and turn them around, not only for me personally, but as a way to use them as a platform for other people. Uh, being sort of a social media influencer now, yes. uh, an anti-bullying activist and a writer and speaker, all of these things combined have sort of led me to where I am today at 28 years old. And it's it's been quite the journey. I've I've definitely learned a lot. I feel like I've finally have stepped into my own uh, pretty recently over the last few years. And I currently just had my first home built. Yes. So I've been in between speaking engagements and all of that stuff coming home and sort of making this into more of a home instead of just a house. Well, I love the idea of making it a home, not just a house. And uh, Lizzie, you, you have this incredible, incredible story. And I think sometimes the way that stories make the most sense is not to start at the ending, you know, present day, but to start backward, start at the beginning. You know, once upon a time, I think it's a great way to begin a story. So once upon a time, there was a little girl named Lizzie. Lizzie, where were you born? And talk a little bit about that upbringing. I was born in Austin, Texas. Um, I still live here now. I can't picture myself living anywhere else. Um, I was my parents' firstborn child. Uh, I was born two pounds, 10 ounces, so extremely tiny. Um, everything was looking great up until it was time for me to be born. And the doctors realized that I had stopped growing in my mom's stomach. Um, she had an emergency C-section. And when I was taken out, there was no amniotic fluid around me. So it was pretty crazy that I came out yes. kicking and screaming and measuring completely normal. And after that, it started sort of this journey of figuring out uh, why I was bored the way that I was. 
you, you mentioned a rare syndrome. Tell us what this rare syndrome diagnosis was. So I wasn't officially diagnosed until the age of 25. Uh, so for 25 years, I was sort of a, a question mark. And I've always said, um, I won't believe that I'm officially diagnosed until I have a doctor yes. sitting across from me at a table looking me in the eyes and saying, this is what you have. I've fit many, many, many different types um, of conditions, but not fully fitting all the characteristics of one. And so I met a doctor in Houston who I've been um, going to see for years now, and he sequenced every single one of my genes. And through that, he was able to find uh, my official diagnosis, which is two things uh, made up in one. It's called neonatal prodroid syndrome. It's made up of lipodystrophy, which doesn't allow me to gain weight, uh, and Marfan's, which I found out is pretty common, but the kind that I have is very rare, uh, and that affects my eyes, my bones, and my heart. So, Lizzie, you, you, you just spewed out some pretty medical terminology there, and I can't even quote it back to us, but wh- why don't you, for me and for my friends tuning in right now, Tell us what it even means when, when, when you describe some of the symptoms and some of the things that it does. What, 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 so what does that mean for you on a daily basis? What, what's the impact? Um, it doesn't really affect me at all on a daily basis. Uh, the life of dystrophy doesn't allow me to gain weight. So I can basically eat whatever I want and not really put on weight. And it's been something that I've loved and I've hated throughout my life. Yes. Um, I've had many people offer to give me their body fat, which sounds kind of disgusting if you think about it. And I know like they're doing it in a way to like be nice, but it always just like creeps me out a little yes, bit. Yes, it should creep you out. Um, yeah, yeah. And uh, my fans, it affects my eyes, my bones, and my heart. So my eyes, I'm blind in my right eye. Uh, my bones, I've never broken a bone. Um, the only bone I've ever broken was on a trampoline accident. I broke my collarbone, but that wasn't because I'm fragile or anything. Um, but it makes my limbs look a little bit longer. I think that's the only difference, yes. I guess. Uh, in my heart, I have the risk of my aortic valve dilating so much so that it sort of um, bursts. And so, of course, that being the scariest thing. And so we now monitor uh, my, heart, <clears throat> my heart every six months. And keep an eye on it. And once we notice that it starts uh, dilating, I'll be put on uh, medication and then keep a closer eye on it. Uh, but yeah, right now everything is doing really well. Lizzie, in, in a weight obsessed marketplace that we all live and work and play in and work out in for some of us and diet in and look in the mirror in, when people sitting back right now listening to this podcast hear that you can't gain weight right now they're thinking not, not poor lizzie they're thinking dang she's the luckiest cat out there you know <laughs> how, how'd she get so lucky but but you know th- this is it's a blessing in some regards because it's led you perfectly to where you are in life but it's also come with some pretty massive challenges explain really to the listener what it means that literally you can't gain weight um i mean there's not really much else that I could say about it because I don't really know exactly like what the, I don't know what the word is. I don't know how, how else it really affects me. Yes. I just know that like I can eat whatever I want. <laughs> when, when folks see you from across the restaurant, across the classroom, across the airport, whatever it may be, do, do you have, a, do you feel like you look different to them? 
I mean, yeah, I think anyone, even if they have a disability or they look different, I think in the back of our minds, we always think that, oh my gosh, they're staring at me or I look completely different from them. So from them. So in that sense, I would say yes. But in the other sense, I've grown to see myself as just busy and so yes. normal. So it's hard for me to say that if I'm anywhere and I see someone and they're looking at me, my first thought isn't, I, they must think I'm from another planet or something. Well, and so, you know, like you and I were talking offline, I, I was burned at the age of nine and have scars that cover my body from my neck to my toes. And for me, I play a game when someone's staring at me, I pretend like they're staring at me because I'm shockingly handsome. And I, you know, maybe that's true. Maybe it's not. I really don't care. And I ultimately, I don't really care what they're even thinking at that time. I, I think, though, too frequently we give in to the worst case scenario on what we think they might be thinking about us. This this odd game. When we're little, we don't. But there comes a moment in life as we grow up where we start to allow the stares, the glances, someone else's perspective to drive our own thoughts. I'm curious for you. When was that first time this awakening where you realized, oh gosh, I. I am different. I'm kindergarten. My parents raised me so normally, and my mom especially. Um, she uh, quit her job when I was born, and I think whether I was born um, was a condition or not, that was sort of the plan, that she was going to stay home with me. And she wanted to raise me around other kids so that I wouldn't feel like I was being secluded. So she started babysitting my cousin and my first ever best friend, uh, when we were all around six weeks old. And so I grew up with them yes. and she would took us to the library and to the park. And so everything was so normal to me because I was having a great time and I never up until that point experienced other kids staring at me. And I don't know if it's because I had these two girls at my side. And so I didn't really see anybody else. I just saw my friends. friends. And so it wasn't until kindergarten where I was seeing people for the first time and they were seeing me for the first time. And it was sort of the what's wrong with you mentality. And you also have to take uh, into consideration the fact that I was in a room with a bunch of five-year-olds yes. who <laughs> aren't afraid to say whatever comes to mind. Tell me about it. No filter. And what we learned pretty quickly is that kids, especially at that young age, they are really, really bright. And they, they're afraid of what they don't understand and what they don't know. And so we were able to sort of use that as a way to talk more openly and sort of introduce me to my class versus me just going into the regular classroom. I was then going with my dad, who was a teacher at the time, uh, at the same school and saying, this is Lizzie, she's just like you, you know, the whole story. And um, it worked. It really made a difference. Did you have, you, you mentioned the two little friends as you were growing up. Did you have the same kinds of little friends throughout you know, kindergarten and beyond through grade school? I did. I did. I mean, I feel like I, I gained a lot more friends as I got older. Once I was letting my personality out a bit more, I did meet a lot more people. Um, but I'm still in contact with the friends that I made still today, you know, <laughs> years later. Lizzie, for all of us who are in, in, and I'm doing the finger quotes right now, normal, middle school and high school are difficult days. It's just a, a tough time for all of us. And it's even more difficult when you look physically different than everybody else. Talk, talk about that experience in your own life. What, what was it like going through late middle school and, and then into high school? 
you know, it wasn't as bad as it could have been. Um, I think because at that point I started wanting to not let other people's thoughts get to me. And that was at the very beginning stages of that sort of mentality. And so because of that, I just thought, you know what, I don't care. I'm going to walk in with my head held high. And if I want to try out for cheerleading, I'm going to do it. If I want to join the newspaper, I'm going to do it. And so for me, I think that helped a lot versus me going into middle school and being really shy and not talking and trying to avoid people. Um, I think if I did that, I think it would have been a little bit harder Mm -hmm. for me. But because of the fact that I was trying to prove to myself that I could do these things, in turn, it helped show other people that, yes, she can do these things. What That idea of, of not only doing things, but believing that you're capable and able to do these things, is that natural with you or is that something you fight for every day still? I think, honestly, I feel like it's sort of natural and it's something that I fight for. My parents always were, of course, very overprotective of me when I was younger, and they still kind of are at almost 30 years old. Yes. <laughs> and I'm sure they'll be like that the rest of my life. But I wanted to, I think, it's hard. Okay, in my mind, I see anything that I want to try as sort of like a dare. Yes. And if I dare myself to do it, whether it's terrifying or not, if I get it in my head, I will work as hard as I can until I can make it happen or at least know that I tried to make it happen. Give, give me an example. And it could be as recent as yesterday or going all the way back to high school. Um, buying my house. Yeah. Um, I, I knew nothing about this whole process. In my mind, I thought, well, it'll take maybe two months and I'll be in a house. And that was absolutely not the case. Um, and I wanted to do this whole process on my own, which meant having to learn basically a whole new language of terms and speaking up for what I want and what I don't want and, and knowing what was best and who to trust. Yes. And I did all of this without my parents' help. And as much as I wanted to give up at some times or when things didn't work out the way they were supposed to. There were times where I just wanted my dad to take care of it because <laughs> he always makes things happen. But I, I didn't and didn't let that happen. And it was almost a good year that I started the process into then having the house built to then moving in and, and everything in between. And it was possibly one of the hardest things I've ever done. Lizzie, you gave a TED Talk, and I'm not even sure exactly when it was recorded, but it's been viewed millions and millions of times, including by me and my friends listening uh, later on this afternoon by each of you. It's an incredible, incredible talk. We'll have a link on our own website for it. Talk about even even building out the talk. You know, you, you're, you have 15 minutes to share your life story and what really matters to you to a very sophisticated audience, plus the online population. How did you design that talk and and then kind of guide us through what you shared with your with your audience that day? So my TED Talk was done at the beginning of December in 2013. And up until that point, I had been speaking um, professionally uh, since about 2008 or 2009. Uh, and so I think a lot of people heard me 
um, from my TED Talk. So there's um, a little misconception that I, that, that was my first speech ever. Right, right. Um, and it wasn't. I had been doing speeches for many, many years uh, up until that point. That speech was actually my last one of the year. Uh, I usually work um, up until the first week of December and take the rest of the year off. Uh, and so that was the plan. And I was excited. I developed the way that I, I do speeches is I don't plan. Mm. And it's mostly because I, I freak out if I'm trying to remember everything that I planned. And, and am I going to say it at the <laughs> right. right time? Am I going to run out of time or not? And so I just threw planning out the window, which sounds so crazy. Um, but now my speeches happen when I ask myself, who's your audience? Yes. What's going on in the world? And how are you going to make the audience the hero? And so I, I use those three things for each, each speech that I do. And for the TED Talk, for TED events, they have very strict rules and guidelines for the speakers. And so you have to submit a plan three weeks in advance. And I've never worked with anyone on that team before. And so it was our first time sort of getting to know each other and I didn't want to come off as this diva speaker who's like, no, I'm not going to do an outline. So I worked with um, one of the producers of the TED event that day, uh, who is now a very dear friend of mine. And we, we planned it out and we had, I don't, I can't even tell you what we planned. I don't remember. Um, but we planned it all out. I ended up being asked to be the closing speaker of that day, which I later found out is a huge honor uh, in the TED world. And so right before I was on the side of the stage and they were introducing me and I looked at the girl who was helping me plan and I just said, do you trust me? And she said, yeah. And I said, well, I'm throwing everything we, we talked about away. Just trust me. And right when I finished saying that, they called my name and I watched it on food <laughs> right. and I just started talking. And right. there's, when, you, when you watch it back now, there's a part where I lose my train of thought yes. and it was genuinely because I was making it up as I was going. So how do you define yourself and all of that? I, I have no idea where that came from. It wasn't anything that I've ever spoken about before. It was just sort of came out of my mouth. And I thought when it was over, I went home and ordered Chinese food and put on pajamas and called it a day and thought, that was fun. Little did I know two weeks later it would go viral and absolutely change my world. What do you think about it was about that conversation that that has connected not only to, to the audience in the room, it's one thing to connect to a live audience. It's very different and more difficult, actually, to, to connect to an online audience. If you're not showing them cats and flashlights or, or people falling over curbs, it's really <laughs> got to be something special for it to go viral. What was it about that 14 or so minutes that, wow, it just grabbed their hearts, Lizzie? I think that, for me, my speaking style now is more of a conversation. I don't ever want an audience to feel like I'm talking at them. I want them to feel like I'm talking to them. And so, for me, I... I don't know. I just always keep that in mind. And I think what sort of made that speech different is I was being really, really real. I was being really vulnerable and I was being my true self. And the, the humor that I had on stage is the exact same humor I have off stage. And it was basically just putting me and my normal self in front of people. And I think that that's what really helped and came across because it wasn't someone giving a speech and, and telling yes. you to be inspired. 
it was someone who could be your friend and who was just telling you your story and reminding you that you can do this. A, a person, by the way, who has great hair, as she reminded us from stage at least one time. <laughs> Thank you. No, but I, like you're saying, I felt like you and I were buddies, even though I'd never met you live. What, for you, when you go to the darker places, because part of your presentation, you share some really hard things. You you talked. I mean, it's online, viewed millions of times, so I'm going to bring it up now. You talked about a video that went viral before the TED Talk, and it was not a good video. It was not a, a, a pleasant, complimentary-type video. It was very negative about you. You talked about that video, and you talked about some of the comments below it when you go somewhere that personal, do, do you feel like you're taking risks or do you feel like in going to the personal places, you're inviting others into the sacred chambers of your heart and you're connecting right back to where they are and it's really not that risky? Um, I think I think it's a bit, it's a bit different. So I found the video when I was 17 and then about a year later, speaking came into my life. And after that, I sort of took the reins of this whole thing and turned it into a career. And in in the process of that, I found that I, if I spoke about it while I was speaking, yes, that was more at the beginning. That was more me just sort of using it as therapy for myself because I never talked about it um, with my friends or family. I just I didn't want to, but I was able to talk about it on stage. Mm. And so for a few years, it was great because it's like giving myself therapy and. And in turn, it's helping all of these people who luckily haven't had this happen to them, but have experienced some sort of pain in in a different way. And that really, really helped. And after that, once my story started becoming uh, more public, a lot of headlines for a while, and even still now, years later, um, all begin with world's ugliest woman defies bullies, world's Mm. ugliest woman, you name it. And up until about a couple years ago, it started really getting to me. And more so because I, I'm not a fan of labels. No. And I felt as though my work has grown so much further yes. since then that having this label, if you will, in these headlines was really bothering me. And so instead of getting mad at, at you know, publications, because I totally understand the world is doing a clickbait and stuff but in order for me and my sanity I guess to be able to sort of turn that around I went from speaking about that video as a way to help myself to then saying what else can I share with people what else have I gone through yes this was such a major major thing in my life but there's so many other things that have happened as well and so now fast forward a few years later and I've had um, something else happened that sort of made me hit rock bottom further than the world's ugliest saloon video. And I started going back and forth. Is this something I want to talk mm-hmm. about as sort of the next chapter in my speeches or do I not? And luckily I have started using um, this instance and story and whatever you will. Um, I've, I've been using that in replace of the world's ugliest woman video but I do always mention it because that is something that was a big thing that happened in my life and it, it will never go away. What, Sorry, that was my dogs. <laughs> I, hey, that, that was like the dog just saying, like, drop the mic, dude, that you just crushed yeah. that answer. So tell your doggy thank you. And, and what, what I've noticed also about all the comments on your TED Talk and really every other talk that you give now online is 
how many comments are praising you for your beauty? Not not only physically, you're a beautiful lady, but you radiate beauty. And there's a difference. A model can be pretty on a cover, and then it, the radiance isn't there when you get to know that person. You radiate beauty. And the cool thing is, it, it's so radiant that the people who are viewing your stuff online can't help but see it. How does Thank it, you. In, in, in hearing that, and I'm not the first to say that to you, how do you feel about that? I mean, of course, I'm I'm very grateful for it, and it feels amazing. And I think what I love most about the fact that people are, are so kind uh, on my YouTube channel now is the fact that they're not just kind to me anymore. They're kind right. to each other. And I can see that when I go through the comments, and someone will say something nasty about me, and, and they'll explain my situation. Or yes. someone will will ask a question and they'll answer it. And when I see that, it gives me hope because I feel like they are proving that it's possible to be kind to one another, especially in a comment section of whatever it is. Lizzie, I know one of your passions is is sharing your message, your testimony, your story with schools and and talking about bullying. Talk to me just a little bit about the messaging that you use and what what you hope the kids receive when they they hear that, that conversation. I think my biggest thing uh, for anyone of any age being bullied is to know that it happens to absolutely everyone. And as cheesy as it sounds, it will get better. And there is a light on the other side of being bullied. And I can tell you that you can do it and you're brave and you're strong. I can tell you all of these things. So many people can tell you these things, but it won't work and you won't be able to accomplish it unless you believe it yourself. So remind yourself that you got this and you can get yourself to the other side. It's not going to be easy, but it's definitely possible. What do you do to continue going forward to get yourself from the other side? I I, I would imagine, Lizzie, there are still dark days. You're human like the rest of us. When you experience that darkness and when you experience those comments online or the comments internally, that inner voice, what allows you to pull yourself back up, take the next step forward and to journey farther down the path toward the light? I allow myself now to feel whatever sadness or discouragement it is, whether it's something really small or whether it's something really big. Before, I would just sweep it under the rug and right. you know just let it go until it all sort of came out at a really awful time. Uh, but now I allow myself the time to cry or feel sorry for myself or throw a pity party for myself. And once I get it out of my system, I know I don't even have to question it. I know I'm getting back up again. And now that I've continued to do that for a while now, it's sort of become second nature. Any any rituals you do every day, whether it's second nature or things you really have to focus on that, that kind of keep your head up? I think just having some me time, whether it's five or ten minutes of just sitting in quiet and not having my phone or checking emails or working. It's just sitting wherever I am for five to ten minutes and sort of taking a breather and then getting back to work again. Your newest book is called Dare to be Kind. Why the title, and and when folks read it, what what do you hope they receive? I knew for this book that it was going, I knew it was going to be my fourth book, but it feels like my first book. And I started writing it at a time in my life where I was figuring out how to stand up for myself and not needing the crutches of, my managers or my team or my family. And and yes, I'll always have their support, but I knew it was time for me to be able to say what I wanted in a respectful way, of course. Um, And throughout 
this process and throughout um, the year leading up to me writing this book, one thing that kept coming to my mind was that we needed to choose kindness. And this was all before the political craziness happened. And so I Hmm. knew I wanted this book to not only focus and showcase the hardships that I've had and me getting myself back up again, but also me figuring out I'm back up again. Now what? Hmm. And through that, we come into many different, many different meetings and different types of relationships, whether it's with work or friends or personal. And through that, even social media, for that matter, through that, we always tend to get really defensive if someone says something that you don't like or rubs you the wrong way. And for me, I wanted this book to sort of be like a pause button to just say, let's step back and look at the bigger picture. And instead of you being really mean and defensive right away, right back, I dare you to press pause and be kind. Lizzie, today you authored four books, world traveler, very successful. You have a dog sitting on your lap. You own a home. You're, you're living the good life. Austin, Texas, 28 years old. How, how do you define success for yourself today? What, what, you know, you, a lot of your work is really about understanding what, what that definition even means. So how do you define yourself? I am so incredibly blessed and so grateful for all the things that I have in my life. But for me, success is knowing that I am so fulfilled in the things that I have accomplished personally, Um, not the materialistic things, but the things that I've set my mind out to accomplish. I feel successful in the fact that I now own my emotions, whether they're good or bad. I feel successful in the sense that I have such a strong support system around me. And I, I mean, I'm able to wake up every morning and hopefully make a difference in someone else's life. So Mm. for me, that's what success is. For you physically, is it hard to travel? Yeah, it is. I mean, it definitely wears me out. Um, I feel like I've lived on the road for a while now. So we've sort of, we've sort of figured it out what works best and, and the trips that are harder if they're further away. Um, but it, it does get hard. And there are times where I'll be traveling and have, and get really sick while nice. I'm, you know, having to go on stage. And for some reason, uh, and I go in detail um, about this uh, in Dare to be Kind, but for some reason, the second I step on a stage, I'm 100% healthy. And it's like I was never sick. And I, I guess my body just goes into adrenaline mode. Uh, but as soon as I'm done, it's back to feeling tired and wanting to lay down and you know that kind of thing what, what's your favorite part about the this like the speaking world i would imagine it's not the, the food in the airport so outside of the food in the airport what, what's your second favorite part of the speaking world what is it that gets you on that plane even if you know hey at the end of this week i might be sick but i'm doing this because it's it's about something bigger than that what is it about I think just being on a stage and not in the way where it's like, oh, the lights and the spotlight and care. It's not that. It's I feel at home on a stage when I'm about to do a speech because I feel like that, that's been my purpose in life and that's what I've been destined to do. So when I, I'm on a stage and about to speak to an audience, whether it's 20 people or 20,000 people, uh, I still just feel this, this sense of this is where I'm meant to be. When you come off that stage, and whether you meet 20 people or 20,000 people afterwards, I would imagine there's a whole lot of action, interactions, conversations that unfold afterwards. 
is there one out of all that you have had over the almost decade now of work that you're like, oh, gosh, John, this one time I met this one person and it's part of the reason why I still do what I do. Is, is there one that you just you love to celebrate? Um, there is one and it wasn't in person uh, or from, well, it was from a speech. It was uh, after my TED Talk went viral. I was getting hundreds of emails and comments like I've never gotten before. And there was one time where I just put my phone on Do Not Disturb and I was going through some emails and I found um, an email from a woman. I don't remember what state she lived in, uh, but it was a video. And I was kind of hesitant to open it because you just never know. It's such a gamble. And I opened it and it was um, a young woman. She seemed a few years older than me at the time. And she was crying in the video and saying, uh, she watched my TED talk. She just finished watching it and that she really wished that her cousin who was like her brother had seen my TED talk the day before because the day before he took his own life. Oh. And she encouraged me to continue doing what I'm doing because she knows it'll help a lot of people. And so that one really just hit me hard and everything after TED went viral, everything was going so fast and it was just like, do this, do that, do this, do that. And so I never really had time to process really what this all meant. And so after I watched that video, I cried my eyes out for a while. But that was one that will definitely always stick with me. Lizzie, when when people hear you speak in any setting, whether 20 to 20,000, when they read your four books, when they follow your work online, when they see you in line at the airport TSA counter, whatever, what's one thing that after they meet you, they interact with you, they hang with you that you hope they experience? What's one thing that you hope in just being with you that they might receive? I feel like a lot of us, whether we realize it or not, are going through a really dark time right now, a time where it feels like it's just raining every day and we're, we're living underneath these clouds and all we need is the sun to come out again. And we're just waiting for it. And we might feel like it's never going to come out again, or we might feel like it's going to come out, but how and when I need a sign. And I hope that I'm, I'm the person who's standing with an umbrella inviting you to come stand next to me until it's time for your sun to come out and shine again. I want to be that person that, that gives you the reassurance that it's going to be okay. Uh, we'll keep your umbrella in hand because you're going to need it for the, the next seven questions. They're called the Live Inspired Seven, and I think you're right. I think we need, during the, the, the course of life, as we go through the storms of life, and it rains and it pours and it thunders and it lightens, to have not only the audacity to endure, but have colleagues and friends and strangers willing to hold an umbrella for us. So Lizzie, thank you for being one such hero. The seven questions that I have for you now, and these are the final seven questions I'll be asking you today, begin with the question, Lizzie, what's the best book you've ever read? The best book I've ever read. And I'm not just saying it because it's a movie now, but probably Wonder. Oh, wow. So for the folks who haven't seen the, the movie or read the book, talk about Wonder. So Wonder is about a little boy named Augie who was born with a condition that causes his uh, face to look different. And Augie has been homeschooled uh, up until fifth grade where his mom encourages him to go to actual school in fifth grade. Uh, The entire book is about the journey and the people in his life and 
how he's dealt with being bullied to then fully accepting who he is. And it's a story that really just hit, hits close to home. Indeed. My, my wife is an occupational therapist. She's the one that turned me onto that book. And, uh, it's a beautiful book. It's a beautiful movie. So I'm, I'm glad you shared it. Tomorrow, you discover that your wealthy uncle has shockingly died at 103, leaving you with millions of dollars. What would you do with that newfound wealth? Oh, you know, I've always had this dream of creating a scholarship foundation uh, for people to go to college. So I think I would do that. I think I would help my church and then I would help my family and then I would spoil my dogs with whatever they wanted (laughs) in the whole world. (laughs) Awesome. If your house caught fire and that little dog of yours and all living people were out, but you had an opportunity to run in and grab one item that really mattered. Lizzie, what would you run back in and grab? Mm, I think I would grab this big box of photos that I have. They're photos from when I was born, growing up, um, through every like milestone and stage of my life. I think I would grab those. Especially because it's so rare to have actual photos yes. these days. We have millions online and in the club, but very few that we can kind of go through an old shoebox and, and glance at. Yeah. If you could sit on a bench overlooking a beach on a gorgeous day and have a long conversation with anybody, living or dead, who would you want to be hanging out on that bench and having that long conversation with? Mm, Julia Roberts or Ava DuVernay, the director. So we'll, we'll go through these one by one. I, I'm fairly familiar with Julia, but talk about Ava. Why, why, who, who is Ava and what would you want to talk to her about? Ava is an incredible, incredible director. She's directed movies and TV shows and all kinds of things. And I'm just so fascinated and inspired by her life because she's just this female powerhouse who, has, who stands on her own and makes her dreams her reality. She's sort of like Shonda Rhimes yes. um, from, you know, all yes. the ABC shows. Yeah, I think it'd be her too. And so, so now I got Ava. Talk about Julia. Why, why do you want to hang out with Julia? I've just always loved her. I adore her. I love everything she does, everything she says. Still Magnolias is my (laughs) all-time favorite movie in the whole world. And I got to go visit um, the house that they filmed in, Mm -hmm. in New Orleans, uh, after one of my speeches. And I feel like it it brought us closer together. (laughs) Well, great. I look forward to you and Julia hanging out. Me too. What is the best advice, whether it was Julia or anybody else, what's the best advice that anybody has ever given you? Um, I think the best advice I've ever gotten was to never be scared to learn to be comfortable in the uncomfortable. Mm. Tell me what that means to you. To me, that means never backing down, even when something seems a little scary or you might doubt that you can do something. To me, it means just, you know, doing it. What would you tell your 20-year-old self? I would tell my 20-year-old self, prepare for some craziness. (laughs) Um, You have no idea the things that are going to come into your life. But to remember that everything happens when it's meant to happen. 
Yeah, I think we all need that reminder. Prepare for the craziness and realize that it's all intended to happen when it happens. This is question 6B. It's not planned, but it, it, it's in, I think it's important to ask it right now. Are you still surprised that people are watching the videos and reading the books and inviting you to speak and paying for the flights and everything else they do to bring you to their people? Are, are you amazed? Because you strike me as being so humble, sincere, and honest. Are you, I am. I are, mean, are you blown away that people are intrigued by your life? Yeah, the fact that anybody still knows who I am blows my mind. I don't think any of this will ever be normal to me ever, right. no matter how many times I go out and speak. This was never, I mean, I'm sure this was destined to be in my plan, but this is something that I never planned, I yes. guess you can say. You know, like I never grew up saying, I want to be a speaker or I want to be a public figure. This was never, I thought was never in the cards for me. So for everything to play out the way it does now, it's it's crazy. <laughs> it is crazy, and it's played out perfectly. And it leads us perfectly to our final question, which is, Lizzie, it has been said that all great people, and you are one, my friend, all great people can have their lives summed up in one sentence. How would you like your one sentence to read? I would like my one sentence to read... Go out every day knowing that it's not always going to be sunny but that when that storm comes when that storm comes the skies are going to clear when you least expect it Lizzie Velasquez while it storms it is so reassuring to know that there are people like you who are beautiful enough and bold enough to hold the umbrella and to remind us that the light's going to return it it has been mm-hmm. such a pleasure to hang out with you to be moved by your works, and to be inspired by your life. Thank you so much. Uh, if Not if. When our friends want to check out more of your work, where, where can we learn more about you? Uh, I'm all over social media. My handle is just Little Lizzie V. Little Lizzie V. Well, my friends, yeah. we'll, we'll be linking to Little Lizzie V. And uh, Lizzie, until then, we so appreciate you holding out the umbrella for the rest of us, my friends. That was Little Lizzie V., This is John O'Leary, and today is your day. Grab your umbrella, get ready for the sunshine. It's your day. Live inspired. Well, my friends, did you enjoy the conversation with little Lizzie V as much as I enjoyed bringing it to you? I'm sure you did. Lizzie reminds us of what real beauty looks like, what real acceptance looks like, what real courage looks like, and of the need we have in this community to have umbrella bearers. Not just people who complain about the rain, not just people who point fingers at what could have been done by somebody else, but people with the love, the zest for life who are audacious enough to run out there to grab the umbrella and to say, people, come toward me. Let, let, let me let me keep you dry. Let me keep you safe. Let, let me keep you in the good graces of realizing that the best is yet to come. She's remarkable. If you want to learn more about her story, visit us online. We're going to have links to her videos, links to her work links to her life. It's it's awesome. So check it all out at JohnO'LearyInspires.com. Again, JohnO'LearyInspires.com. It's where you can learn a little bit more about Little Lizzie V, but it's also where you can learn more about previous podcasts. You can learn more about my book. It's called On Fire, Our Speaking Career, Our Community, what it means for you and how it can impact the lives, not only within your organization, within your community, but 
within your reflection in the mirror. Now's a great time to grab that umbrella, to be bold, and to recognize that the best is yet to come. So I'm looking forward to seeing you online, my friend. So for this time, and until next time, this is John O'Leary, and today is your day. Yes, it is. Live inspired.